In a world where a man loves movies and loves lists and keeps a list of his 100 favorite movies for over 30 years, what if he made his wife watch those movies in order? And what if he made her talk about it on a podcast? Would she like them? Would she hate them? Can this marriage possibly survive this podcast? Find out what will happen in a world called Craig's List. Hear ye, hear ye. All rise. Craig's List podcast is now in session. Judging all movies <laughs> will be Carla Kikowski. <laughs> the Honorable Carla Kikowski is here. Uh, to judge the movie today, which is 12 Angry Men. <laughs> Carla, how's it going? Good. How are you? Good. Uh, it's a clear day in Los Angeles after a night of rain. Yep. And uh, we're ready to, uh, to talk some movies today. Uh, today we're getting to the number, I always forget what number we were at, but I think it's number 82, right? I don't know. It's okay. your job to know that stuff. That is totally my job. Uh, today's uh, <laughs> episode is uh, episode 19, and we're covering movie 82, and the math adds up. It adds up to 101. So uh, 12 Angry Men. Yeah. It's, it's a 1957 film by <laughs> Sidney Lumet. And there are three Sidney Lumet movies on uh, Craigslist. This is the second of three. We've already covered Dog Day Afternoon, which is one of your favorites. Yeah, I love that movie. And uh, this is the very first movie he directed, and it's based on a teleplay by Reginald Rose. Uh, so it was originally done for TV first when they did a lot of... Oh, wait. I think I misunderstood that. So it wasn't a stage production first? No. It was written for TV. Oh. This Interesting. The 1950s, like TV was a lot more like highfalutin back then. And, uh, <laughs> what <laughs> it does was, that mean? Well, it, it was a little more artistic and they did do, uh, stage plays that are adapted for TV. I think it's partially because they were so limited by what they could do in those early days. They had these giant cameras and most things mm. were done in a TV studio with limited, uh, production values. Right. And so, uh, adapting stage plays from New York or writing plays that were directly meant to be done for TV was very commonplace. And this is how a lot of New York actors got into the film and television business. Um, and this cast is other than Henry Fonda, who is the lead. Uh, a lot of them were not very well known at the time and they were New York actors that, uh, Sidney Lumet specifically cast uh based on that but this is uh the story of a the story of a juror story of a juror the story of a juror <laughs> <laughs> this is a story about a jury uh an entirely male jury mm -hmm. of 12 angry men that are deciding the fate of a defendant who is uh on trial for murder and is going to be sent to the electric chair uh almost the entire movie takes place in the jury room and it's just uh, these 12 dudes yelling at each other. Um, uh, I, were there not women on juries at this time? <laughs> I'm being serious. I'm sure there were women on juries. Are you? No. <laughs> <laughs> 
maybe it wasn't as commonplace what year in those this? days. This was 1957 57. when the movie was done. The teleplay, I think, was written for 1954. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe they just liked the sound of 12 Angry Men. Maybe it, they felt like it would muddle it mm-hmm. uh, to have uh, different genders involved because that would bring in a whole other ball of wax. Right. Um, but I'm sure women served on juries at this time. Somebody look it up for us and tweet at us. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, you definitely missed having a female presence in this movie. Sure. Of course. <laughs> Always. <laughs> uh, though I'm excited to talk about this movie with you because I think for the first time the first- do, doing this podcast that, uh, I've shown you a movie you had not seen before that you really liked. Yeah, I actually really like this movie quite a bit. Now, despite the lack of a female okay. presence. Uh I think you liked Lenny, okay. Yeah, you, Lenny you was liked good. You like Splendor in the Grass. Yeah, that was good. And uh but both of those movies had pretty good female parts in King them. of Comedy? Yeah, I liked it okay. Yeah, but I think this is a movie that you legitimately like really liked. I can't remember. Did I like King of Comedy? I think Acker didn't like it, right? Yeah, he definitely did not like and it. And I was more like, it was good. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you'd never seen this before. I'd never seen it before. Um, and I thought like, oh, I should have, I probably read the play at some point, but now knowing that it was a teleplay first and then eventually it was a play though. It's definitely been done as a stage play yeah. too. Yeah. I think it's very common for community theater to do 12 Angry Men, mm-hmm. you know, again, it's like one set right. for the whole time. It's, it it's, simplifies a lot of headaches. It's uh great acting opportunities. And it's timeless. It is timeless. <laughs> I think it's been done with an all-female cast before. Yeah, I think it's been done with an sure. all-black cast before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was remade for television by William Friedkin in 1997 with Jack Lemmon in the Henry Fonda role. Oh. And with more of a – it still it was still 12 men, but it was more of a racially diverse cast. I think Courtney B. Vance played the jury foreman and Ossie Davis was in it. Oh, I'd like to see that. Yeah, I would I'd like to see that. it too. I haven't seen it. And then George C. Scott is in the Lee J. Cobb role as the one most uh, difficult juror. George C. Scott was still alive in the 90s? <laughs> yeah, he was. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know when he died, but uh, he was alive in 1997 okay. to do the 12 Angry Men remake. Uh, I definitely – Craig's first time seeing this was definitely when I was in high school. Um, they didn't show it in high school, but this is the time where me and my friend Andrew were kind of catching up on all the classic films and we really loved courtroom dramas in particular. And I feel like we saw this in a double feature at Andrew's house on VHS with possibly anatomy of a murder. Oh, uh, is that on your list? That's not on my list. Uh, though that's a, a good courtroom drama of the time with George C. Scott, uh-huh. who was nominated for an Oscar for, for that movie. And, uh, who's the lead? Jimmy Stewart is the, the lead in that. But, uh, this is definitely one of the great, uh, American courtroom movies. Though it's sure. not a courtroom, it's a jury room. Right. But, uh, I think it, it really still holds up, uh, today as being about the law. Yeah. And being a very entertaining movie. It is. It's super easy to watch. I, wasn't sure. I thought I might like it because I do like Sidney Lament in general, but um, it was actually easier to follow. It wasn't boring, which you might uh, suspect it could be. 
Um, cause yeah, it's in one black lo- and white. One, it's in black and white. <laughs> which, and we all know those are so boring. <laughs> but I mean, it is one of those things that's like, it's an older I don't want to watch that. It's too old. It's 60 um, years old at this not point. Not that I say that, but I'm just sure talking about one, people one in might general. say that. Also, it's a lot of dudes, older dudes talking. Yeah. Which usually makes me tune out fairly quickly. <laughs> when older dudes start talking. At the same time. Yeah, around the house, I've noticed that. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, yeah, because it's just in this one location, you would maybe expect it to not be very, um, interesting. We'll get into some of the ways that Mr. Lumet kind of keeps it lively, uh, throughout, but I think, uh, part of it is that it's very well cast. And despite the it fact is, that it's yeah. like, here's 12 jurors, that's a lot of guys to get to know. Some of them are more important to the story than others. Some of them don't talk as much. But you get a sense pretty quickly of who all of them are. Mm-hmm. And that's painted in just, you know, a few quick scenes of seeing like little interactions that they have before they even get into deliberations. And then when they start speaking up uh, about the trial, you get a sense of what each of their biases and. That's a great point to make. I really like that idea. It did feel very much like you could just go around the room and assign one characteristic to each person. And they acted that way throughout the whole piece. Even when they did perhaps change their vote, spoilers, uh, they were still that same person. And it was f- the, the reason they changed their vote was actually filtered through th- what they were to begin with anyways. Yeah. And it's got, it's got a premise that's like a can't miss premise. And it's basically like a sports movie in a way, which is like a great underdog story where you're kind of rooting for the underdog the whole time. Yeah. And it's Henry Fonda is the one dissenting vote who votes not to send this kid to the chair. It's 11 to 1. Everybody's mad at him uh, because they think it's an open and shut case. Mm-hmm. There's no way. It was so obvious that this kid committed the murder. And over the course of the movie, Henry Fonda slowly but surely convinces them all to change their vote. Yeah. And I actually I will um, from my point of view, I didn't think that I didn't necessarily feel like he was the underdog the whole time. I was equally annoyed with him at points (laughs) Um, because his reasoning, which ultimately is true about reasonable doubt. Like if you have a reasonable doubt, then you can't say guilty, but you know, he's constantly saying like, look, I don't know if he is or isn't guilty. And then after a while, like you start to feel like the other people like just make up your mind, you know, but his whole, his whole point and his whole purpose in the plot is to continue to poke holes in the guilty verdict. Um, just to kind of show you, like, we're not here to assign guilt to anyone. We're here to say, if we think that there's a possible chance that he couldn't have done it, which is so great. And he keeps saying, it's not possible. Right. It's not possible. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, all these guys are so set in their mind of like, no, no, it's not possible. Yeah. (laughs) But then they end up, you know, shooting themselves in the foot the more that they talk because then they – their whole argument for why they think he could be guilty is based on an idea of like it could be possible that he's guilty. Right? (laughs) Yes. Have you served on a jury? I've never served. I've gotten really close twice where I was the last person dismissed. Oh, really? And both times. The first time I think I was there two days and the second time I think I was there three days. What kind of trial? Um, the first one was... This is in LA? Yeah. I can't remember. It was something... It wasn't exciting. It was some sort of financial dispute, I think, or something. Okay. And then the second one was really sad. It was a, a family... Um who were suing their 
landlord because there was an electrical fire and their son died. Oh, Jesus. And that was, that, that was the one that was three days. So it was a civil case. I guess. I don't remember. It's been yeah. like 10 years. I, it must have been. Yeah. Why were you dismissed? Um, I don't know. The first time I was like the last person dismissed, but it was first thing in the morning. And so I don't know. They just, I guess, thought overnight and they didn't want me. But the second one, I was like really, I wasn't being cool. <laughs> like whenever they'd ask me questions, I was giving them a lot of attitude. Were you trying to get off? I was trying to get off and I was really stressed about having to serve. But here's the thing. And this is, this is hard because it's like now I'm in a position where I could. God, I don't still don't want to serve on a jury. I'm going to knock on wood. <laughs> Carla's knocking wood. But where I could do such a thing, but at the time, like it was, I was like 24, 25. Where'd you work at the time? And I was a server. Yeah. And so they're not going to pay me to take off work. Yeah. Like they don't. So it was, it, it wouldn't have, it would have like fucked me for months if I had to take off for that. Financial trial. hardship. Yeah. Like I would have had to move back to Kentucky or something. <laughs> Seriously. Like I was terrified. And so I was doing everything I could. Within, you know, <laughs> within the limit of not, of trying not to lie. Yeah. There was a woman who came in, um, to that second one and said that she had, uh, that this, the boy had visited her in her dreams the night before. <laughs> um, and so she felt like she couldn't serve on the jury because she had a bias towards the family because she was connecting to the son. Did they buy that argument? Well, it didn't really matter. Like the judge looked, irritated but when somebody says that at that point you can't keep them on the right. jury yeah and that's the whole thing about people who do those things i mean there's a whole 30 rock episode about it right where she dresses up like princess Leia or whatever yeah um it's like the second that this person seems unstable it's just not worth it yes <laughs> so i was trying not to seem unstable because i didn't want to be a liar but i was also trying to make it clear that i was not happy to be there and i kept saying that my you know my job was serving and that I was going to be poor. You really see people pulling out all the stops in this situation. Like anybody who maybe, uh, isn't English isn't their first language will play up, uh, the language barrier. You know, older people pretend to be hard of hearing, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. everybody's got an excuse of why they can't do it. And the, uh, the judge just is not hearing it because they've heard every excuse in the books. Yeah, both judges were pretty pissed off from what I remember at all the excuses. I've never seen the inside of a courtroom. I've done jury duty. <laughs> of like, course not. Uh, You're the luckiest person I've ever met. Like three <laughs> three or four times and have like waited in the room all day and then never had my name called to go into a jury room. And then the last two times I've uh, had to do jury duty, I was checked in over the phone and never had to go in at all. Hmm. So I've really lucked out. Yeah. My, my, the only two times I've ever been called in, I was in the courtroom both times <laughs> and had to sit for hours. Uh, let's get into some Carlos quotes. Okay. Are you cool with that? I'm cool with it. Okay. Uh, the beginning of the movie, uh, I'm not sure where they filmed this, by the way. I'm guessing in New York. Uh, well, Sidney Lumet filmed all of his things in New York. I well, think, there you go. Was the idea? He's a real New York filmmaker. Hey, I think so yeah, because we watched the documentary about him afterwards, and he was talking up how he was saying how uh, he felt like a face in front of a mountain was equally as interesting as a face in front of a building. <laughs> 
and that he would never direct a Western because he didn't think that that was any more, the landscape wasn't any more beautiful than just the skyline of New York City. There you go. Yeah. The man loved New York. Yeah. Uh, so it's definitely set in New York. I'm assuming filmed in New York as well. Uh, and so there's kind of an opening shot uh, establishing the inside of the courthouse. And Carla said, that looks like a place I've been. Maybe all courthouses look the same. <laughs> Uh, then she said that water fountain looked like a bidet. It did. It was giant. <laughs> it was very common at the time for uh, courthouses to have bidets in the lobby. Right. You know, because it was it was all men that was there. And so right, there was no, exactly. Like, so there was no cause for embarrassment. Yeah. You could just, you know. Or propriety. Hop on over to it and use it, you know. You did need... I use that word right? Propriety? Yeah, I think you did. That was a really good word that just came out of my mouth. I've been uh, reading a lot of Jane Austen. <laughs> Propriety sounds like a very Jane Austen word. It is. Yeah. I wasn't kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Did she invent it? Mm, I don't know. Tweet at us. <laughs> uh, Carla said, is this the night of prequel? <laughs> <laughs> why did I say that? I don't know. Well, it's the law, you know. The night oh, you know why? Because they never really uh, settle on um, an ethnicity for the person who's on trial, but they show a picture and he looks a lot like that kid. Okay. Maybe? <laughs> he looks like uh, Riz Ahmed from uh, The Night Of. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. There's jurors who are prejudiced, clearly, and they keep referring to those people. Right. Uh, and maybe it was assumed when the the teleplay was written that the person would be black, but for some reason they did not choose to have a, a black actor play the defendant. Yeah. Uh, he looks like he may be Latino. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but they, they don't get into any specificity. Or, you on know, that. who knows? You know, yeah. What, what do you, hmm. who knows? He's one of those people, mm -hmm. which is the important thing to know. Uh, so Carla th thought it may be a prequel to the night of. Uh, <laughs> when we see the jury, Carla said, so many boys in one place. <laughs> <laughs> and during the opening credits, you, you kept referring to different names in the opening credits. I think because we recently named our dog Frankie, you've still been in naming mode. I have, yeah. And we, we don't need any names. Right. Because we, we've got a name, but I think you're, you're still kind of in that mode of uh, sussing out various names. So uh, one of the technicians on the movie was named Boris and Carla said, Boris is a great name too. <laughs> Boris Kakowski. I'm pregnant. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, we are not naming my son Boris. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, I'm not pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I know that soon there's going to be a lot of Russian names in this country because we're going to be <laughs> taken over. Oh, by the God. Russian government, there's going to be a lot of Boris and Boris. What a week! And Natasha's out there. We, we're not even getting into the the politics of the day, um, or the bidet. Oh come on! <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of smoking in this movie because it's 1957, of course. Sure. And there's no reason why you can't smoke in a jury room. And Carla said, "Remember when people used to smoke in the same room as you? Ugh, gross." <laughs> <laughs> it's so hot in this movie, and they do a great job of making us feel how hot it is. Yeah, of because course, it's a set. It is, but everybody's yeah. sweating except for the one guy who doesn't sweat. Uh, and they keep referring to how hot it is, and turning on the fan, and opening the windows, and then they're just smoking. <laughs> 
and you just really feel like that kind of claustrophobic feeling. Yeah. And then to imagine to have smoke blown in your face. Like it does they do a really good job of making you want to get out of the room too. Yeah, I guess the claustrophobia was definitely part of Lumet's uh strategy for the movie. And I guess they did a lot of rehearsal where all 12 of them were just in a room together, just running the lines over and over without him shooting or anything. And I guess the actors, you know, just got annoyed with being cooped up with each other yeah. in the room. It also starts with wider shots and gets into more and more close-ups uh, as the, the movie goes on. Uh, so definitely kind of uh, creating that claustrophobia through camera placement as well. Uh, you also said, have you ever smoked a pipe with 11 angry men in a room? <laughs> Because one guy was smoking uh, from a pipe. Have you ever smoked from a pipe? Uh, only a fake pipe for fake acting. Well, that's not what I'm asking. No, no. Have you ever smoked a cigar? Maybe I've taken a puff or two. They're disgusting. They're so gross. When I was 15, I smoked a cigar with a friend. Uh-huh. It was the worst. What did you think was going to happen? Uh, I was going to. Did you think it was going to be cool? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what I thought. It was just trying stuff. Didn't you try stuff when you were 15? Sure. Just to see what it was like? Sure. I tried stuff. Uh, <laughs> like what? Sexually, you mean? I don't know. I'm just asking a question. <laughs> you get to interpret it however you want. I don't know. Maybe I had a cigarette or two in high school and I had to smoke for a roll in college and like bought a pack of camels and like smoked them sporadically over the course of like a month. One, yeah. one pack. <laughs> And I never inhaled. Like I didn't realize until years later that that's what you're supposed to do. That you, you're supposed to take the smoke into your lungs. Right. Uh, you know, I would just like breathe in and you puff it out like right away. Like right. it was a candy <laughs> cigarette, you know. So, uh, but I definitely didn't like it. You know, I think the only reason I did it was to look somewhat natural because I had to smoke for the role. And I'm sure I looked ridiculous. I can't even imagine. You know, I looked yeah. so phony, yeah. I'm sure. And then any real smoker would uh, be able to smoke me out oh. right away. Uh, as these guys start uh, start being angry men, as angry men are wont to do, and yelling at each other, Carla said, ugh, all these Trump supporters in this room. <laughs> or maybe that was in reaction to some of the racism. I don't know. Maybe it was both. Uh, many great actors in this, uh, some of whom are uh, not that well-known. Some of them I really kind of know from this movie. Others became much better known later, and others just kind of are like recognizable character actors who are in like a bunch of things. I recognize a lot of them. Yeah. Jack Warden is one of my favorites, and he plays the guy who has uh, tickets to a baseball game that mm-hmm. night. So he's got kind of a boater hat, and he's wearing kind of a loud suit. He's trying to get out of there. He's trying to get out of there more than uh, anybody. Uh, and Carla said, man, if this was in color, I really hope his suit is pink. <laughs> <laughs> it's a crazy-looking suit, just the pattern and then the hat. Yeah, he's going to get like a striped suit Like that uh, guy's a gambler jacket. for sure. Definitely. Uh Jack Warden, perhaps best known maybe to modern audiences for While You Were Sleeping. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's so good in that. Uh, he'll also be in the other Sidney Lumet movie that's coming up. Mm. And uh, I, I probably know him best uh, first from The Great Muppet Caper where he plays uh, Fozzie and Kermit's boss. Yeah. And Fozzie and Kermit, of course, are twin brothers in The Great Muppet Caper for some um, reason. 
Uh, he worked with Lumet a lot because in all of the clips they were showing from the TV that Sidney Lumet had directed, he was in a lot of those clips. Yeah. I think he was very uh, loyal to all the actors because I think a lot of them turned up in, in a lot of his work. Um, Carla just kept whispering, Trump, Trump. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if that was a reaction to things in the movie or just that's just currently what's going on in your mind at all times. <laughs> well, it just felt like uh, there was a lot of um, uh, arguing for argument's sake. And so I was coming off of a whole Facebook thing. and Sure. Do you want to get into that today? No, no I don't. <laughs> Not even a little bit. Okay. <laughs> Uh, there's a couple times where, uh, the only other character we really see is the bailiff who occasionally like, comes in to give them a piece of evidence that they've asked for or whatever. And every time the bailiff would pop in, Carla said, that could have been a lady part. <laughs> <laughs> there, uh, Throw us a bone, Sydney. There may have been female jurors at the time. There are definitely no lady bailiffs, I'm going to guess, in 1957. I don't know. Look it up. <laughs> when did we first have lady bailiffs? <laughs> um... <laughs> They're, the first vote they take, it's only Henry Fonda is the only guy against. And then after they uh, argue with him for a while, he's like, okay, well, you guys take another vote. I'm going to stay out of it. I'm going to abstain. And if it's still 11-0, then I'll go along with you guys. Mm-hmm. And so then there's all this drama as they're like submitting their slips of paper to the, the foreman as he's reading them off. And Carla said, I have a feeling someone's going to say not guilty unless this, this is the shortest movie on Craigslist. <laughs> Somebody has to say not guilty. Somebody has to say or not the guilty. Over. Yeah. And the second guy to join him is the old man. There's a guy who's older than everybody else, uh, on the jury. And, uh, it's it's a really kind of like fun relationship between him and Henry yeah. Fonda. Like they they kind of like form an alliance right away, and it really is as each person kind of overturns their vote. Uh, again, it like feels like a sports move. Like there are times where Carla's like, "Yes," <laughs> as each person changed their mind. Yeah, uh, but he's the first one to do it. Um, <laughs> when they're also submitting their slips of paper, Carla said, "Even the paper looks old timey." <laughs> It did. It looked, it looked like, like it came, came from a tree. Yeah, right? it did. <laughs> it was not overly processed. It actually was just bark. Yeah, it was, they used to write on tree bark back then <laughs> in the 50s. Um, our friend Rick Kent, uh, who you did Second City with, <laughs> uh, you remembered that he had done a stage production of 12 Angry Men. And one of your favorite things over the course of watching this movie was to guess of who Rick Kent played. <laughs> There's a few possibilities of who he would. Now, Rick is a New Yorker and he's kind of like a big blustery guy with very strong opinions. Yeah. So he would I think have been- he listens to this too, to this podcast. Hey, Rick. He might. I don't know. He got upset with me for not liking uh, Unforgiven, <laughs> but he was funny about it. So I assume that maybe he listens to it. Well, Rick, uh, let us know who you played in 12 Angry Men. We think it was probably the Lee J. Cobb part. That's, it has to be. <laughs> but it. Might have also. Wait, was that the, which guy was that? The guy sitting on the same side? He's the last guy to turn. Yeah. That's yeah. what I thought. Or it could have been, uh, the other guy sitting on the same side as Henry Fonda. What was that guy? Well, that's Ed Bagley. He's the guy who's just like out and out racist. Yeah. <laughs> Rick is so not racist. He's really not. But this guy was so angry that I felt like, the way that he was shouting, I could imagine Rick being able to do that. Yeah. Or there's another smaller part of a guy who's a house painter. 
Uh, and oh, that, yeah. that could have been Rick also, or Rick could have been, uh, Jack Warden. He could have been the guy with sports tickets too. So. Oh, like, yeah. He totally could have. Or so, he could have been the foreman. Yes. I could see that too. I could see Rick in so many roles. For I'm going to go for though the, the last guy. <laughs> the, what was his name? The, Lee, Lee J. Cobb? Yeah. I'm going to go for him. Okay. He's juror number two. Who do you I think? believe. Um, I think, uh, Ah, I don't know. I think he was the, I think he's the guy with sports tickets. Okay. 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 So, shaking hands on this bet. Rick, let us know. And Rick, if you don't listen to the podcast, why the hell not? (laughs) Um, We just spent 10 minutes talking about you. (laughs) (laughs) One of the guys is an ad exec. He's a madman. Yeah. And Carla said, that would be great if there was an episode of Mad Men where Don Draper was on a jury. They should have done that. Too late. Too late. The show's done. This guy even looks like Don Draper. (laughs) He does a little bit. Yeah. And then we also watched, uh, just this morning because I had meant to watch it, uh, a while ago, but because Carla, uh, had never seen the movie, like, I don't think, uh, you would have appreciated it as much until it was fresh in your mind. We watched the Amy Schumer, uh, parody of 12 Angry Men, which is so well done. Like they duplicate the look of the movie exactly. Not all of the actors, but a lot of the actors look a lot like the, uh, the leads from the, uh, from the Lumet movie. Totally. Uh, but they capture the tone of it really well. Yeah. Too. And Vincent Carthizer from Mad Men plays the, the stockbroker, mm-hmm. uh, who's guy who's played by E.G. Marshall, who was another one of the hardliners, who was one of the hardest guys to, uh, convince. He's the guy who's always like, there's five points. One. Here's this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he's very like logical and organized uh, with every argument that he makes. Uh oh, I think you're. <laughs> oh, this was there's a uh, a couple times they go into the bathroom. Yeah. Uh, it's one of the few times we get out of the jury room, and it's one of those just old timey where it's just like a cloth that hangs down where you just like. Oh yeah, we wipe you, your hands. You on wipe it. your hands with the cloth and then you pull it. And Carla said, "Remember back in the day when we didn't kill trees for paper towels." <laughs> Do you so, remember? I uh, no. I remember seeing those things. They're not that old. There's still a few bathrooms that'll have them, like yeah. in a, like uh, a creepy gas station in the middle of the desert. Sure. <laughs> or I'm thinking even at places like Musso and Frank's, like old, right. like old timey restaurants in Hollywood, they might still have those. Uh, so does that thing get changed out? Like how does that? I don't work? know how that works. It's pretty gross, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, I wish we would go back to it, honestly. Because people don't need to be using so many paper towels. Well, the uh, the Dyson air dryer is great for your hands, right? Isn't that bad, though, electricity-wise? I think that there's newer versions of it that um, are energy efficient. Okay. But, yeah, like the... It the, takes a lot of power. Yeah, the classic one, I think, is, is bad. Okay. For the environment. So uh, I could be wrong. Are you guys all asleep? Are you awake out there? Did you hear what I said? <laughs> One of the big uh, points of argument uh, among the jury is that the boy was heard saying to his dad, I'm going to kill you. And so there's dispute as to like how meaningful that is. And Henry Fonda can ma- make the argument of like people say that all the time yeah. to each other. And he gives the example of like I said it to my wife and I say it to my son. <laughs> <laughs> you say it to your bus driver. I'm going to kill you. I was supposed you to get really off there. It. You You're don't really mad. mean it. <laughs> Maybe that's a different era where people that came floating <laughs> that out all the time. That did not feel timeless. That did not feel timeless, you know. But Carla did say, you've never said that to me. 
You haven't. You sounded a little disappointed, even. No. <laughs> I'm glad you've never said, I'm going to kill you. Uh, I'm going to kill you, Carla. My brother said that to me when I was a kid. I probably said it to him, too, to be fair. Mm-hmm. But you're a kid. You don't mean it. <laughs> so if he had said that, then maybe I would have understood his argument. <laughs> this must be after one of Lee J. Cobb's rants in the movie, because he's, he's one of the great screen yellers. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> All he does is yell for the entire movie. There's another movie where he plays the bad guy in it that we'll be seeing later in Craigslist where I think he gives pretty much the same performance where he's just kind <laughs> of like yelling and, uh, and blustery. Um, but at one point, uh, after he said something horrible or racist, he says, what are you looking at to everybody? And Carla said, you, you crazy Trump supporter. Another one of uh, Henry Fonda's trump cards in this movie of like there's a a knife that's v- a switchblade that's very specific with a very specific handle that supposedly the boy committed the murder with and it was introduced as evidence. And everybody's like, oh, that knife was very unique. There's no way that there's another knife like that. And then Henry Fonda, who, who has this in his pocket presumably the whole time, yeah. pulls it out. The exact same knife and stabs it into the uh, the table, and they're like, "Where did you get that?" What it was like? Well, I picked that up at a thrift, not at a thrift shop, but at a, a store. He walked the kids' neighborhood and he found knives like found that. the exact same knife yeah. there. Uh, and how could you not be smug the whole time just knowing of like, I've got this knife in my pocket. I'm going to pull it out at a strategic also, time. What a bad idea to bring in a knife <laughs> to a jury room. The whole rest of the movie, I was nervous about it. Well, because then there's a scene where they try to duplicate the stabbing motion yeah. where uh, Lee J. Cobb, who's the biggest asshole in the room, that for some reason they give him this knife to demonstrate how he would stab Henry Fonda, yeah. <laughs> which is just a terrible idea. And, uh, and right before that scene, Carla predicted it with like, I can't believe they're hanging in there with that knife. They got to keep it away from Rick Kent. <laughs> <laughs> she just started referring to Lee Jacob as Rick Kent. You know? <laughs> uh, because, because none of the characters have names, by the way. We only know their juror numbers. So yeah. it's uh, juror number Let's two. Let's be honest. I wouldn't remember their name even if they did have names. <laughs> and uh, there's a moment... <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> There's a moment, I think, where the old man falls asleep for a second or he's just ha- kind of hanging his head. And Carla said, is that old man OK? He's not going to die, is he? Well, he had just been like about to pass out from the heat. And the next scene, his head's on the on the desk <laughs> facing down <laughs> and knowing that this is a drama. They're not going to kill off one of the jurors because then it's going to be a hung jury. OK. <laughs> well, I didn't think it through. I just thought what would be dramatic right yeah. now? You're worried they were going to kill the old man. Yeah. That's something that's a common theme in Craigslist, by the way, is you being worried that characters are going to die. Is it? Yeah. Huh. It's just like life. (laughs) You're constantly worried about death. Yeah. You are preoccupied with death. Well, sure. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) I mean, if there's anything to be afraid of, it's death. Sure. Uh, But you don't like to be reminded of that through art. No. (laughs) I do. I love movies where... You're so weird. I love movies about death. Um... Then the uh, the Ed Begley character. This is Ed Begley Sr., by the way, who we talked about last week. You and yeah. Todd were surprised that there's an Ed Begley Sr. He looks nothing like Ed Begley Jr. at I all. Didn't, yeah, I actually, through the whole movie, was trying to figure out which one he was because he didn't look like him at all. And also, <laughs> So what you just said, yes. 
And also, he must have been old when Ed Begley Jr. was born because he looks kind of old in this movie. And this is 60 years ago. I don't know how old Ed Begley is, but I'm going to guess 70. Yeah, I would think maybe. so. Yeah. Um, but anyway, he goes on a racist rant and everybody kind of turns their back on him <laughs> and yeah. just lets him talk and talk and talk. Uh, and then he realizes that everybody's turned their back on him. And Carla said, because you're being a racist fuck, you fuck. <laughs> He's like, why is nobody looking at me? Because you're terrible. <laughs> and that's it for Carla's quote. That was it. Today. I have yeah. to say my favorite thing in the movie was the very last moment. <laughs> so they're all excused. So they're leaving. Henry Fonda's walking out uh, in, the, in front of the courthouse. And uh, the old man walks up to him and shakes his hand. Right? And he's like, uh, hey, my name's uh, McClellan, by the way. And Henry Fonda says what his name is. My name's Davis. And then the old man says, okay, well, bye. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a great moment. Yeah. Yeah, it really is because it just shows the whole relationship of like – uh, we just got real personal with each other up there. We didn't even know each other's names. Yes. And now we're never going to see each other again. Exactly. I mean it's really – it's a good joke to end it's on. It's a great joke and it, it it like encapsulates the idea of a jury system of just like you go in with strangers, you you know have to voice your values and ethics. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know each other's names and you'll never see each other again after this, but you have to make it important and when you're in that room. I thought it was an awesome moment. And even though it's all kind of middle-aged white men, so in right. a in a sense it's limited but uh, there's definitely some working class guys, some upper class guys in there. Uh, I read that, uh, Henry Fonda's character, I don't know, I forget whether this is mentioned in the movie or not, but, uh, I guess he's called in the script, the architect. Oh, interesting. So he's supposed to be an architect. Oh yeah. He did say that. Does he? I forget when he said that, but he did at some point, somebody asked him what he did and he, he yeah. did for a living. Lee J. Cobb runs a messenger service. Uh, E.G. Marshall is a banker. Uh, John Fiedler is the, uh, the juror, uh, number one, by the way, who's just this, this little guy with a high pitched voice. And he was the voice of Piglet in uh, know, all of the Winnie the Pooh that. cartoons. So it's, it's a, a very specific voice. Um, but he, I guess, is a bank teller. The, uh, then there's the ad exec. There's the house painter. There's a, a kind of an elegant gentleman with uh, a, a foreign accent who mm-hmm. is a watchmaker. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he's an immigrant. Uh, I got to say that my one of my crybabies moments is in this movie. Really? Uh, so I didn't see you cry. I probably didn't cry because I've seen the movie enough times. But it's still like a very like – there's like a lot of moments in this that are very moving. And I'll tell you how Lumet does it. Uh, it's that he puts the camera in close up on characters who aren't speaking in the moment and we kind of see them think and we kind of hear the other guys talking in the background and then they kind of speak up with the thing that they want to say, yeah. you know? So like he, he just has a great sense of when to linger on, uh, actors faces. Mm-hmm. And, um, there's a moment where, uh, Jack Klugman, um, later TV's Quincy and TV's, um, Oscar Madison Mm -hmm. from uh, The Odd Couple. Uh, He hasn't really spoken much. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's probably spoken the least of anybody that's there. And Ed Begley is going on one of his rants against people from slums. And the camera kind of lingers on him for a while. And you kind of see him struggling, like, whether to speak or not. And then finally he's like, 
um, excuse me, excuse me, I grew up in a slum. Yeah. And, uh, and it's like, it's very, it is very moving, moving that he kind yeah. of speaks up for himself. And I can totally tell you exactly why it moves me so much is that Jack Klugman is a dead ringer for my dad. Yeah, he really is. He looks exactly like my dad to the point where when we were dining out growing up, people would, I don't know why people thought that Quincy <laughs> rather than living in Los Angeles might be at a pizza place in Woodbridge, Virginia. Uh, but people would, would compliment my dad on his work on TV. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That's so funny. Uh, and then my dad also grew up, uh, in a coal mining town, you know, and he was mm-hmm. the first person in his family to go to college and he grew up very poor. So I think just the uh me associating the Jack Klugman character with my dad makes that moment even more moving. Yes, I agree. That was really that was a really good moment. I I think it's such a I mean I would suggest recommend anybody listening to this to go out and watch it and I would uh hope that you would see how thematically it's still so relevant especially right now. Um because they do they I mean it's not a hugely diverse room, but that moment. And then the moment with the watchmaker who's from a different country, like, and he he kind of talks about the privilege of being an American citizen. Yeah. Yeah. And how, um, it's, it's their job to, to talk, to talk this out, um, and figure out what they feel, not based on their biases to this kid. Uh, yeah. Or their prejudices to this kid. And yeah, so it's just a, it's just a really time timely movie, you guys. I would go check it out. I feel so sad. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to talk about golden showers in uh, no. Russian uh, hotel rooms? Okay. No. Um, well, I had so many talking points related to that, so no. I guess we'll we'll skip that. <laughs> um, two actors, by the way, did the original TV version, which our Criterion uh, uh, disc has that on it as well. Oh, that, really? That the we original TV yeah. version. Cool. And I think it's the uh, it's the watchmaker and the old man were both in the TV version oh, as well, and cool. were, were recast. Um, and the rest of those guys were like, "Why can't I be recast in it?" <laughs> but uh, a lot of those actors were were uh, who were in the original version uh, were pretty famous as well. Uh, I think Norman, <laughs> I guess Norman Fell is maybe not super famous, but uh, he was Mr. Roper on Three's Company. He played the foreman. Oh, funny. Uh, in the movie that uh, Martin, I know that guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Martin Balsam did the uh, the movie version. Um, what else? Just a couple odds and ends. It is. I would like to say something real quick. Yeah. Um, based on the documentary we just watched on PBS about Sidney Lumet, he talked about. Uh, you know how like he oh, people would always say that he his movies carry a moral message and interest I thought it was interesting he said that he never chases that message that uh he's not trying to make movies that have a moral message he's just trying to um tell these specific stories and if the moral message comes out then he's done his job yeah like he's not paying attention to what the themes are when he's shooting it or when he was shooting it, because he has since passed. Uh, but he's paying more attention to the acting and the moments and the relationships. And, you know. Well, it's something we talked about with Dog Day is how every single small part is well cast in that movie. Mm-hmm. And you know exactly who that person is. And there's kind of uh, – there's a little bit of sympathy given to every character. Is just like this is a person, you know, with a, a three-dimensional life. Yeah. Um, 
obviously some of the characters in this, you know, you're, you're rooting against, but they still feel like humans. Mm-hmm. You know? He also said in that movie, in Dog Day, he, uh, he, that he would normally try to think of a color palette for his films, but for that one, he purposely did not because he needed it to feel real. He needed it to feel like you would turn on your TV at the time and that you would see images like this. Uh, because he wanted to replicate that feeling of like, they're watching the, the bank heist on their television. Yeah. And so he had all the actors wear their real clothes. Like there was no costume in any of the movie. Oh, wow. I, I assume except for maybe, um, Sarandon, Chris Sarandon probably. Sure. Is wearing costume. <laughs> uh, but that, because he did that, it made it a lot easier to just be able to take shots of the street with people just walking. Um, it didn't make it seem out of place. Yeah. Because he got just so many people just, you know, hanging out on the street. Uh, which I thought was really cool. And then he also said for this movie, for tw- 12 Angry Men, um, he wasn't pursuing this story. He wasn't like, he didn't read the script and think, oh, I need to tell this story because you know, it, it has this message. I want to make a point about yeah. the American legal system. Right. Yeah. He said, I did it because I wanted to make a movie and this was the <laughs> one that was offered to me. Okay. Well, I think for like 1957, like the acting is so like low key and naturalistic, which is why like taking New York stage actors like was a, a good idea mm-hmm. at the time. Uh, the black and white cinematography is really beautiful. You know, there's a lot of great uh, close ups and, uh, similar to Dog Day, it's like the hottest day of the year. Yeah. Know? So like you kind of feel like the the heat and the uh, the claustrophobia. Uh, and strangely, uh, on the IMDb top two fifty, this movie is number five. Really? Uh, behind both Godfather's, The Shawshank Redemption, and The Dark Knight. <laughs> Oh, wow. So uh, the IMDb Top 250 skews in a very male way. and it's Shocking. Like the type, and the type, it's the kind of people who would vote on something on the internet right. a lot. So like take it with a grain of salt. But it tends to be a lot of like Lord of the Rings movies and Marvel movies right, and Godfather right. and stuff like that. I guess like the male energy probably uh, doesn't surprise me that that's there. But it's it's interesting that it's so highly ranked. Yeah. Uh, and I enjoyed this movie just as much as I always do, and it will stay on Craigslist. <laughs> uh, you want to give it a letter grade, Carla? Sure. I'll give it an A plus. Wow. Or an A? I don't know. Uh, hey. I feel like an A is an A plus. <laughs> an A is an A plus, and an A minus is an A. Right. Something like that. <laughs> okay. Good. What does that A plus stand for? Um, I could watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> I could watch it again. I could watch it again. Uh, you want to improvise a scene from this movie, Carla? Sure. Well, I was thinking because you kept mentioning that the bailiff could be female. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, let's do some, and we know what happens in the jury room the whole time. We don't know what's going on with that bailiff. So let's go a little Rosencrantz and Guildenstern okay. with this. Uh, and it's a woman? Yeah, it's a lady bailiff. And, uh, she's talking to the judge, uh, while they're waiting for the, uh, for the verdict to come in from the jury. Okay. Uh, your honor, I made your dinner. Oh, thanks, Dolores. It's part of my job is to cook. Of course. You're a lady bailiff. A right. lady bailiff cooks. Yes. So I hope you enjoy it. It's a, it's a veggie lasagna. <laughs> veggie lasagna? What the hell is this? And a glass of milk. You have to watch your cholesterol. Oh, Dolores. It's non-fat milk. Non-fat milk. This is 1957. It's coconut milk. <laughs> coconut milk. Unsweetened. 
Just go with me on this one, Your Honor. Okay. Now, did you take your medication? Oh, it tastes like tastes like chalky water. T- take your medication. All right, I got to take my heart pills. Yeah. Got to take my diabetes meds. I I promised your wife that I would make sure that you stayed on task and took your meds throughout the day. Okay. Because that's well, my job. You know just as well as my wife, Dolores. Um, also, I don't feel like, uh, you know, like when I help uh, move the men from one room to another. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a term for that. What is it? Uh, sequestering. Yeah, when I sequester. Um, I don't know. I feel a little vulnerable because I have boobs. Okay. Well, you know what you were getting into being a lady bailiff, Dolores. Look, I just needed I needed some money, and it was this or, you know, the world's <laughs> oldest profession. Okay. Mother. Oh, mother. Of course. Yeah. But you got kids at home, don't you, Dolores? I do. Uh, and I got to feed them, Your Honor. Okay. Look, all I'm saying is I could use some help. Hey, by the way, those guys still have that knife in that room? Like, they asked for that knife a while ago. Well, I'm not going to go in there and take anything away from a man. <laughs> you go, girl. Ed scene. Yay! So that's what 12 angry men would be. If, if there the, was a woman involved. If there was a lady bailiff. <laughs> She'd just be making veggie lasagna and unsweetened coconut milk for the guys because she knows what's best. She does. Uh, Carla, well, I'm glad you enjoyed the movie. Thank you. It sounds like it would make Carla's list. It would. I really liked it a lot. I thought it was quite good. Well, that's awesome. Well, uh, listeners, if you haven't seen 12 Angry Men, uh, do it. Get out there. Watch that movie. And it goes to show you my mind's open to seeing movies with dudes. There you go. So you're, you're not prejudiced against men. Well, Carla, next week we have episode 81 on Craigslist. And, uh, not episode 81, but number 81. Uh huh. And, uh, this is an animated movie. Ooh. And this is also the most recent movie on Craigslist. Moana. It is not, it is not <laughs> Moana. I haven't seen that yet and I can't imagine. Frozen. For, uh, no, it's not Frozen. Uh, uh, Beauty and the Beast. Well, it's more recent than that. It's, uh, it's a Pixar movie. Toy Story uh, 3. Toy Story 3 is, is that correct. The best one? Yes, that is the best one. Uh, it's the one representative of the Pixar company on Craigslist. And I think it came out in 2011, maybe. So it's five years old. Really? It's been that long? I believe so. Wow. 2010, maybe? I know it's the most recent movie on my list. Wow. Uh, that and Man on Wire. So, you know, it takes a while. This man is on wire. You know, things got to gestate for a while. I've got to see a movie at least three times before it gets on Craigslist. So everybody wants to know what the most recent one is. That is it, my friends. And we're going to have a guest joining us. Ooh. And this guest is one of my colleagues from the Thrilling Adventure Hour. He's also the co-host of the We Got This podcast. Mark Agliardi. It is not Mark Agliardi. <laughs> I'll give you a second guess. How Lublin. <laughs> it's how Lublin. <laughs> It's Hal Lublin is going to join us next week to talk about Toy Story 3. So we're very excited to have Hal on, and we're very excited to uh, talk a little Woody and Buzz. Yeah. You remember that scene where uh, they all get burned up in the uh, in that incinerator at the yeah, end? I yeah, I sobbed. Yeah, it's tragic. If you haven't seen the movie, all of the toys get killed in an incinerator. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, not true, but they come damn close. And yeah. I think we'll, we'll talk about that and we'll talk, probably talk about, uh, some crybabies moments in Toy Story 3 as well. So, um, crybabies, we keep, uh, saying we should say why. 
because it's a great podcast. Well, we have. We plugged it. I know, on this but we before. did it on this one. In case okay. Well, Cry Babies is a great podcast that Sarah Thayer and Susan Orlean co-host. And uh, listen to it and weep your eyes out, folks. And But uh, then come back and listen to ours. And too. come back and listen to ours and laugh. And yeah. hopefully and think. Sure. And cry. Yep. A little bit. Uh, Carla, I'm going to see you soon. I'll see you in 30 seconds. Okay. And uh, listeners, we'll see you next week. The list is an absolute good. The list is life. <laughs>